Hi, and welcome to the ADHD Friendly Podcast. I'm Patty Blinderman. I'm an ADHD coach, and my passion is finding ways to make my life more ADHD friendly. And I like to bring them here and share them with you in the hopes they can do the same in your life. Today, I'm going to start with a celebration. And then I'm going to use my ADHD lens and examine the pickle jar theory. So if you don't know what that is, I'll talk about it in just a minute. Then I'm going to get into my topic for today, which is decision fatigue. So I'm going to share what decision fatigue is and then some strategies to support your decider. And then I'll finish with a little tease for what's coming up in my next episode. So let's jump in. The first thing up is a celebration. So this is... Uh, pretty straightforward. My celebration is that I've created the structure that I'm now trying out in this episode for the first time to really um, hopefully make it more ADHD friendly for me and help your ADHD wired brain to follow the thread of what's coming up as well. And so I did that really intentionally um, around the, the update for what's coming up where I kind of gave an overview. And I'm also going to recap at the end of the episode, as well as give you what the topic is coming up for the next episode. That one was the hardest for me to commit to because I do um, sometimes change the order that I put the episodes out and that will restrict me from having that freedom. Um, But I'm going to try it. I'm just going to play with it. So that's my celebration that I'm just leaning into trying it and noticing what I like or don't like about it. So let's jump in pickle jar theory. So if you aren't aware of it, the pickle jar theory is basically the theory that if we're prioritizing, we put the big rocks in first so that the most important things in our life fit into the time that we have. And then we can fit the little things that aren't as important around. You're going to hear all of my little, my little pebbles, my little rocks around. They'll fit in because we prioritize the big things. The problem with the pickle jar theory is it's designed kind of with a flaw. Everything fits in it. With a a lot of us, and especially those of us with ADHD brain wiring, the problem with the pickle jar theory is it doesn't fit all the rocks. It fits a lot of rocks, but we have a lot more rocks that will not fit in there. So what do we do to help support ourselves. Because I got this quote from Oliver Berkman, who wrote 4,000 weeks, time management tools for mortals, which I'm just, I'm in the middle of reading it. I love it so much. Um, And he says, the real problem is that we aren't bad at prioritizing the rocks. It's that there's too many rocks and most of them aren't making it anywhere near that jar. I literally heard this. I was listening to the book um, while I was walking and I stopped because I immediately got this image in my brain. And that's why I had to turn it into a concrete example of of what I was seeing. And it was that image of there's just too many rocks to fit in the jar. And that so resonated with me because we often have so many things that, that feel equally important, right? That, that ability to plan and prioritize is often impacted with ADHD brain wiring. So everything kind of has like this flat, equally important landscape and that's not true, but that's how it feels. So we tend to just feel the urgency to, well, I just have to make time for everything. And as we know, we can't stretch time, even though our brain makes it feel like we can. So that really ties into my topic today, which is decision fatigue and how to 
support ourselves to make those decisions, especially when we think about prioritizing what we want to do with the time that we do have each day and how to do that with a little bit more ease. So I'm going to start off with a, a definition of decision fatigue. And it's the idea that after making many decisions, your ability to make more and more decisions over the course of the day becomes worse. So it's literally that mental overload that can get in the way of you making decisions throughout the day. And this is impacted by ADHD and weak executive function skills. So if you think about our ability to um, use working memory, to plan and prioritize, to manage our emotions, right? So we might see like, oh my gosh, there's so many things I need to make decisions on and we'll just get overwhelmed and not make them. And according to Dr. Lisa McLean, she's with the American Medical Association. She says, by the time the average person goes to bed, they've made over 35,000 decisions. And each of those decisions takes time and energy. 35,000 decisions. Now, a lot of these decisions are not consciously being made. They're, you know, do I want a little bit more cream in my coffee? Do I, you know, want to get up now or in a minute? Like we make like, like these little, little tiny mundane decisions throughout the day, but every one of the decisions that we make requires effort and energy. And Dr. McLean says, the more decisions or the more choices you have to make, the more it can wear on your brain and it can cause your brain to look for shortcuts. I call those default mode decisions. I'll get to those in a second, but she says the four main symptoms of decision fatigue. So kind of like what to look out for, to know that you're experiencing it are procrastination. Mm -hmm. Impulsivity, so we're making the decisions on impulse instead of taking the time to think them through, avoidance of making the decision, or just indecision. And that always reminds me of the quote from the song um, by Rush called Free Will. They say, if you decide not to decide, you still have made a choice. You've decided not to decide. So indecision being the fourth um, symptom of decision, of decision fatigue. I mentioned a second ago, default decisions. Default decisions are decisions that are not in line with your values, and they tend to be kind of like the, the default mode that you go to. So if you think about you intend to exercise, but you find yourself sitting down and watching TV, that might be your default decision. Like, eh, yeah, I want to exercise, but I'm kind of feeling tired. So maybe I'll just you know sit and watch TV and I'll exercise later on today or tomorrow. Um, and according to James Clear, he says, your willpower is like a muscle. It can get fatigued when you use it over and over again. And every time you make a decision, it's like doing another rep in the gym. The strength of your willpower fades as you make more decisions. I love, again, that analogy of a rep in the gym. It literally connects what it's like, that fatigue that we feel when we're making decisions and the importance of minimizing how many decisions you're making. So you have that energy in reserve to make the decisions that are really important with more ease. So how do we do that? We need strategies and not any strategies. We need that ADHD friendly way of strategizing, making decisions. And I'm going to share a few of them and some personal examples in the hopes that maybe they'll help you to think about what would help you to make decisions with more ease. So the first is to reduce temptations that's going to save your willpower. And by that, I mean, I always, my example is always, I have a rule that I really don't want Oreos to be brought into the house. If they're in the house, I will eat them. So if I have to go to the store to buy them, it's much less likely I'm going to find myself 
eating a bunch of Oreos, but if they're in my kitchen, even if I put them in the pantry or, you know, I put them someplace that isn't as convenient, I know they're there and I'm going to use a lot of energy trying to tell myself, I don't need to go get another Oreo. So just not having it in the house is reducing that temptation and it's increasing resistance because I have to go and get in the car and drive to the store if I'm going to buy them to, in order to eat them. I have the same rule for M&Ms, just can't have them in the house. Um, another example is I do intermittent fasting. I've been doing it for over three years now. And with my intermittent fasting, I just don't eat after 1.30. I can't even begin to tell you how much that impacted my decision making ability because I wasn't as fatigued because there wasn't all of these, what am I going to have for dinner? What am I going to have for dinner? What time am I going to eat dinner? What am I going to make? Do I feel like making that? Do I have the things I need to make that? I don't have dinner. It frees up all of this time. And that was always such a big drag on me that it, it maybe gave me more of a boost than it would if, if you enjoy cooking. I don't. And I have a hard time deciding what to make and um, how to make it and how much time will it take? And is it going to even be tasty that I'm going to want to eat it when I'm done. Do I want to make a double recipe for leftovers? Well, all of that. I don't have to decide anything. So intermittent fasting for me, just don't eat after one 30 done. Um, or maybe another example could be to reduce your temptation of maybe like hitting the snooze button in the morning might be putting the alarm out of reach. So you don't have to think about it. You don't have to res resist and, and use your willpower. It's, you have to get up and turn it off. It's not going to turn off because it's not close enough for you to hit the snooze. So just thinking about what, what would reduce your temptation. So you're not using all of your effort trying to not do something or increase your resistance. So it's going to make it harder for you to do something that might be a default mode decision. So like I said, not having the Oreos in the house, or even like putting the remote control, um, in a lockbox that doesn't open until, you know, a certain time or it, you know, put it in and it closes for three hours. You can't get to it. So it's just not there. Keeping your phone out of reach. So you don't just automatically go grab the phone and then you find yourself on your phone. So those are examples of ways to reduce temptations or increase resistance. Strategy two, narrow your choices with structure. I think of these even as like uh, choice boundaries. So an example might be um, like when we went house hunting, when we were moving, um, there's so many details about houses. I learned this the first time I ever went to look for a house. They all just started to blend. I remember thinking, oh, I remember every detail of this house and I could keep it up for maybe two or three houses. But then I would start to lose the thread of which house had the extra bedroom or which house had the half bath in the, in the kitchen or, you know, something that, that either I liked or I didn't like, and I just couldn't hold on to the details. So I really, you know, had to think about what's most important for us and how do I remember those things while we're actively looking at houses. And so I remember I made a checklist and I prioritized it. The most important things at the top, the things that would be lovely, but not deal breakers at the bottom. And I could just check them off and it just helped me to kind of rule out houses or keep them in the running based on what I decided, um, with the structure that I created. And another example could be college. I know a, a lot of times, um, either for my own kids when they were looking at college or a lot of the families I work with in my coaching business, deciding in advance, what are the priorities? Is it distance from um, where you live? Is it um, how much the tuition is? Is it the, the degree programs offered? Um, how, how big the class size is, the, the professor to student ratio? Deciding those things and and 
which are the most important can really help to just make those decisions with more ease because you're not having to look at everything. You're just looking at the things that you decided are the things that are most important to you. So those are, again, just some boundaries or narrowing your choices um, with some structure. Strategy three, decide once. I love this one. You're basically automating your decisions because you've decided one time and that's just your 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 rule that you decided this is what you do. And so my example is, and I've shared this on my other episode where I talked about um, my yoga um, habit and how I've, I've done it at the time. I, I had a full year, 52 weeks in a row. I'm now up to 55 weeks in a row. And I, I've done that by deciding I do it every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I could do it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but I don't have that as an expectation. I just commit to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday mornings. I do it before I get ready in the morning. I don't have to decide. It's already decided. I That's just what I do. Um, another example was when I needed to create some structure because my daughter and I were really having a hard time building in structure to have her practice driving. It created an anxiety for me. It created stress for her. We were both avoiding it. And so we sat down and talked and decided we would drive every Tuesday and Thursday at 4.15, period. If it was a Tuesday or a Thursday, we were driving. We could drive any other time during the week that we wanted to, but Tuesday and Thursday, we committed that that's what we were doing. So it was a, if nothing else, we'll do it twice a week as a minimum. And that really worked for us. Um, another example could be meal planning. So maybe you have some kind of structure like taco Tuesday or leftover Wednesday or pizza Friday. Um, we always did fend for yourself Saturdays, which just meant you guys, you know, when the kids got old enough, make what you can make cereal for dinner or sandwiches for dinner, you're in charge of deciding what you're going to have for dinner as long as it, you know, fell within certain parameters, but it just, you know, created a little bit more ease. Cause as I shared, you know, meal planning was always something that was challenging for me. So finding ways that I could tolerate it and deciding once. So I didn't have to every week kind of like recreate the format really worked. Um, another example is because I have four kids, once they hit school age and they started getting birthday invitations to every kid in the class, you know, would get a birthday invitation. Cause that was the rule in the school that they were going to. That if you invited, if you wanted to give them out in school, you had to invite everybody in your class. It's a lot of birthday invitations. And I realized pretty quickly, we could either spend every weekend running to, I'm not kidding, two to four birthday parties a weekend, or I could decide once what structure I was going to put around this. And so I gave them the choice of outside of um, their very best friend's and family member birthdays, if they wanted to go to, you know, just kind of like school friends that weren't their best friends birthday parties, they could go to three a year. So each of my kids got to pick three. And so when they got brought home an invitation, like, okay, is this going to be one of your three? And it just helped me to tolerate that level of an expectation to be running around all the time and remembering to get gifts. And a lot of structure came out of that, but it also allowed them to, to prioritize. Is this a friend that you really, really want to attend their birthday? Or do you want to, you know, kind of decide not to go to this one, skip this one and go to a different birthday um, later on this year? So again, just deciding once it just automates it and it gets you out of having to decide every time, oh my gosh, do we want to go do that? It's like, no, that's the structure. Um, strategy four is maybe using a decision flow chart. So kind of like capturing it visual. Remember with our ADHD brain wiring, Having an external concrete visual tool can really help. So I'm just going to share an example of a flowchart decision um, maker. So you start here. Somebody asks you something. Do you want to do it? 
If it's no, don't do it. If it's yes, then do I have the time to do it? So there's a lot of things we want to do, but we don't stop and check. Do I actually have the time to say yes to this? Can I commit to this without it getting in the way of the other things that I've already got on my, uh, my agenda? So if the answer is no, then don't do it. If the answer is yes, then we can check in and say, does this align with my big rock goals? Remember going back to the big rock priorities, is this something that aligns with that? If it's a yes, then yeah, do it. And so this is kind of criteria just as an example, but I always want to invite people like, what would your criteria be? And I've seen people do this around shopping. Like, do I need it? No, don't buy it. Do I need it? No, but you know, or yes. Okay. But do I already have something that can use that can be used for this? No. Okay. Then maybe I'm going to need to buy it. Is it on sale? No. Like thinking about those parameters to help you make those decisions. And a flow chart is just for me, it's that if then go to, it's already decided you have the prompts to remind you of what the, the, the thought process is around that, what you decided the prompts can be. And then going back to it to reflect when you do need to make those decisions, it's just so much more easy to make them. Strategy five, making lists. I am such, such, such a fan of lists. I have them for so many different things, I'm just going to share a couple of examples. What to wear. This is another area where, kind of like meal planning, I used to always walk into, um, when when shopping in malls, you know, especially when I was younger, was like such a, a way to go and find clothing. I'd be like, I just want the outfit on the mannequin. I could, I'm not good at pulling things together and accessorizing. My sister, that was always like a strength of hers. Not for me. So I either needed to, you know, buy it off the, the mannequin, literally, like I want that shirt, those pair of pants, I wear those shoes. Are they available? <laughs> I wanted the whole thing. Um, or taking pictures of outfits. And that's like a, a great uh organizing tip. So like laying your things out, trying I like literally stood in front of my full-length mirror and taking pictures of myself in different outfit uh combos and then printing them and keeping them on a little like area of my closet wall so I can remember, oh, that's right. That goes with that. It helps me remember the clothes I have and how they go together without my brain having to walk in my closet and think, oh, what do I have that goes with this shirt? How do I, what did I wear with this last time? And because I feel that fatigue instantly, I literally won't wear it. It doesn't mean I don't like it. I just have to decide and remember what it, what worked with that. And so taking pictures of what to wear can be a great way to use that as a list. Um, what to watch. I have a, a notes app where I keep a running list. I have a separate app for TV shows. I have a separate app for movies and I'll even categorize it by what to watch with my husband, what to watch by myself, what I might watch with one of my kids, what I want to go see with a friend. Um, it just helps me to hold on to it because what I know about myself is if I'm sitting down and I'm like, oh, I've got some free time. I want to watch something. What do I want to watch? If I don't have a list to go to, I can't tolerate the scrolling. I keep the, the, uh, the clicking noise of going through. It, it just fatigues me to no end. So having a list just makes it easier for me to watch something when I want to watch something. And it's usually something I actually want to watch because I took the time to write it down. Um, I make a list of books I want to read. That's another area I, I have a hard time remembering and it pulls me into reading with so much more ease if I already have a list. Often I'll move away from it, but it just creates that sense of calm to know it's there. So if something's sparkly, I want to read, great. But if not, I know I have a list to go back from that I put only books on there that I am really interested in reading. I even have a list of my yoga routines. So I remember which ones I like. So if I'm feeling low energy, I've already identified ones I can do when I'm low energy that work really easily. So I it's one of the things that supported me during my, my goal to hit a year without 
breaking the streak, having that list really was key. Um, and then even like a list of restaurants of where I want to eat. This was really important when we moved to try to remember there's so many great places to eat in the Chicago area. So to keep a list of where we ate and if we liked it, but also a running list when I got recommendations of where else we could go if we haven't uh, tried it yet. So I remember what they were. So lots of ways to use lists, shopping lists. You know, there's a lot of like the standard, but these are just some examples of how you might be able to take like level up your your idea of using lists to support your ability to make decisions. Um, gift lists. I always keep those throughout the year too. Ideas that somebody will say, and I just keep a running list. So I'm terrible at remembering something for somebody, but if they mention it, I tend to just write it down. So it's in a list and I can go back and reflect on it. Strategy number six, shifting to the next one, delegating. So sometimes the decision doesn't have to be made by me. So I delegate it. And that could be let somebody else pick the restaurant. I might say, you know what? I'm not in the mood for, um, like my husband, my husband's favorite go-to is Chinese. So I might say, I'm not in the mood for Chinese tonight, but you can pick anything else. And I, I'll absolutely go and I'll be happy and I'll pick something. And just not having to decide allows me to be a little bit more flexible because I know how much energy it's going to save and how much time it's going to save not to try to have to decide. Um, maybe asking the server at the restaurant, what would they recommend? Sometimes I'll do that if I'm like trying to decide between two things and I just don't know and I really want them both. I'm like, which, which of these two would you recommend? Just, you know, outsource it. Let somebody else decide for you. Another example of that is um, my daughter uses the Magic 8-Ball app on her phone. If she's trying to decide if she should have another cup of coffee, she's like, oh, Magic 8-Ball, should I have another cup of coffee? And she'll, you know, flip it and it comes up, you know, yes, or um, decidedly no. It's just an easy way, a fun way, if it's a, if it's a light decision, not, not kind of like a heavy, really important decision, but just an easy decision to make, outsource it. Let, let the Magic 8-Ball make the decision. Or flip a coin. If you're trying to decide between two things, flip a coin. And just notice if you're like, you know, if it lands on heads, it's this, if it lands on tails, it's this often when we're outsourcing it in this, in this way, when you flip the coin, notice while it's in the air before, you know, when it lands, before you look at where it landed, what are you hoping? Are you hoping it's heads or tails that often your intuition will let you know which one you intuitively are kind of rooting for. And the last um, is an example, something my brother does with his annual vacation. They take turns deciding amongst him and his wife and his in-laws where they go each year. So when it's your year, you get to pick. When it's you know somebody else's year, you, again, you outsourced it. You're only having to pick one out of every four years. And so you may even be looking forward to it, but then you also know the other three, three years that you don't have to decide. So again, that one's just delegate the decision, outsourcing it. Strategy number seven is my last strategy, and that is to capture your decisions in your personal owner's manual. So just like I shared with writing down my lists of things that I decided I want to watch or I want to read or restaurants I want to try, if I don't have that in a way I can reconnect to it, I can't use it. Um, decisions that I make around my example with my house hunting, that's in my palm. And We've had to move a few times over the years because I created it and I kept the decisions that were most important to me in my palm. I could go back and look at the list and see sometimes my priorities change depending on you know where we were and how many kids we had at the time and, and what the needs were. So, you know, schools may not have been really important with our first house, but our second and third house, yeah, they were really important. So that that you know kind of changed in the level of where they are on the prioritization list. 
But because I had it in my palm, all I had to do was go in and change the criteria to meet my current needs. I didn't have to reinvent the wheel. So capture the decisions you make in your palm so you can remember, no, 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 we decided next year we're going here for vacation. You got it documented. You don't have to worry about it. It's in your palm, your personal owner's manual. Um, I did this even when I, I picked a car model. I was so torn between two different um, types of cars I was looking at, and then I would lose the thread and forget, what was it about this one? Which detail did this one have? Capturing those details really helped me. And then when I'm in the market for a car, you know, hopefully not for many years, but I can go back and see what was important and are any of these still important to me or what's important today? Because you know, my priorities change, I don't have to, again, re reinvent the wheel. I can look at what I already had because I captured it in my owner's manual. And I'm going to go ahead and say it now. I say, we say it at the end of the podcast, the best time to start your personal owner's manual was when you were a kid. If you haven't started yours yet, the next back time is right now, today. Just capture your list and put a copy of it in your palm, digital or physical. Um, the bottom line is, this is my, my wrap-up quote from Lisa McLean. Um, she says, the bottom line is, look at all the big and little decisions you make every day and think about how you can simplify your life. By changing your habits and setting up the right routines, you can decrease your anxiety and conserve your energy for the decisions that really do matter. Love that. All right. So to recap, we talked about how to look at the pickle jar with an ADHD-friendly lens. How do you know if the, the things that you've prioritized, the big rocks, are the ones that really need to go in there? And how do you manage if you have too many big rocks, right? So the deciding the criteria and then remembering what you decide by putting it in your palm. And then we talked about decision fatigue and how the average adult makes 35 decisions every single day. So how to support your decider to not get overwhelmed and go to default mode decisions by using an ADHD-friendly strategy. And then next week, I am going to talk about why you need an ADHD-friendly re-entry plan. So I'm going to talk about what re-entry plans are and how you can use them to support yourself when you come back from vacations, come back from summer break, or even after a weekend and strategies to do that with a re-entry plan. And I'm also going to do a medicine cabinet check-in. In episode four, almost exactly a year ago, I did a whole episode where I talked about organizing my medicine cabinet and it's been a year. So I checked in and I'm going to update on how it looks, how it worked and what I've changed to make it work even better. So that's all for this week. Once again, if you haven't followed or subscribed me, subscribe, subscribe to the ADHD friendly podcast. I invite you to, to please do that. I am trying to increase my subscribers to get to my goal of hundred subscribers. Um, and remember if you haven't started your palm, ADHDfriendly.com is my website. I have tons of resources and free tools, as well as, um, some groups and coaching around supporting you to make yours. That's all for this time until next week. Tally ho.